When I was in VBS as a kid, years and years ago, before I became old and decrepit like I am today, I had to plant a seed for VBS craft. Everyone got a styrofoam cup, a thing of dirt, and a seed. You're supposed to put the dirt in the styrofoam cup, put the seed in the dirt, cover it, you know, normal planting seeds. I was so excited about that. I have no idea what the craft was actually for. Nothing. Got no memory of what the craft was for. But I do have memory of that styrofoam cup, that dirt, and that seed. I was so proud of it. So proud of it. Came home, put that styrofoam cup with the dirt and the seed on our front stoop there in the sun so that it could watered. I looked at that, went inside. Then immediately it came out and I dug up that seed because I wanted to see if it had grown. <laughs> Hadn't yet, so I put it in the dirt, covered it back up, went inside. Two minutes later, went back outside, dug up the seed to see if it had grown again. I dug up that seed 10 times that day. The next day, I probably dug up 15 times. Can anyone guess whether that seed grew or not? Everyone says no. No, it didn't. It didn't. Fast forward 30 years, we're finally planting a garden in our house. We're using the egg carton method of starting the seeds in our house. So we put dirt in each of the little cups of the egg cartons. We put seeds in the dirt, we cover the seeds up, we mist them, we cover them with plastic, everything's great. I do not dig up those seeds, because <laughs> I know what happens. But I get early, and I get there into the kitchen, and I see my kids stumbling out of their bedrooms. They don't say hi, they don't say good morning, I love you my dear father. The gay go directly to those egg cartons, and I see those grubby little fingers plunging towards the dirt, and I say, No! <laughs> I know what happens, don't do it! Thankfully, my kids are much more wise than I am, and they listen to reason, and all those plants grew, thankfully. Scientifically, for a seed to start to grow, it must be left in the ground long enough for it to be remade. That's all I know about the science, because it was impressioned on me since I was four or five years old. That's the only thing I know about the process. You put the seed in the ground long enough, and it will grow something like this. Whoops. Ah, please, do it. Ah, there we go. Isn't that cool? I searched a long time for this. <laughs> when a seed is planted, it grows into something else. Something that is newer, greater, but still uniquely tied to what it was. Scripture tells us that this is what the resurrection is like. A seed placed into the ground, and all of a sudden, in the fullness of time, it bursts out into glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 49 
says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life until as it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of weed or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and each kind of seed it gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and stars differ from stars in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. What will our resurrected bodies be like? Paul says it is beyond imagination. But this morning, we're going to try to make that imagination a little more clearly. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the hope that we have. As we reflected on last week, we know that the resurrection is coming. And truly, that will be a glorious day when you break through the clouds and you call us finally home. Where this whole world is remade into something new and wonderful. And we'll get to live forever in paradise, communing with you and each other. Lord, that will be a glorious, great day. Teach us what it means to live today knowing that that day is coming. And Lord, Father, in the midst of the chaos in the midst of the destruction, in the midst of the sin, in the midst of the pain and the grief, when, the, when our life doesn't go how we planned it to go, Lord, remind us of what eternity will be so we can live in hope because this world is not my home. Lord, as I'm here, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. What will our resurrected bodies be like? Before we can discuss what will be, we must first talk about what is. What is our current bodies like? They're different than what will be, Paul tells us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, When you sow, you do not plant the seed that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. To each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another. Fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon another. The stars another. And star differs from star on splendor. What we have now is different from what will be. Just like a plant is different from its seed. 
The DNA is the same. Each seed contains the DNA of the plant, but the seed does not look like the plant. No one takes a flower like that and puts it in the ground. They take the seeds because the seed creates something new and wonderful and beautiful. All the potential that is kept in that ugly little seed bursts forth in beauty in the fullness of time. So what is? What is the seed? What is our bodies like? Scripture says that our bodies are perishable. Our bodies are perishable. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is perishable. The body that we have starts to decay from the moment of birth. Yes, it starts growing. It starts getting bigger. Grows hair, does all sorts of things. But from the moment of birth, it is starting to decay. The process of death starts when that first breath comes. We're all fighting decay. N.T. Wright writes this. He says, flesh and blood is a way of referring to the ordinary, corruptible, decaying human existence. Whoops, too far. But the present physical humanity, as opposed to the future one, uh, no, I went too far, there we go. It does not simply mean, as it has so often been taken to mean, physical humanity in the normal modern sense. Instead, the present physical humanity, as opposed to the future one, which is subject to decay and death. He's saying, our bodies are decaying. That's the commonality for all of us. We all sin, we're all decaying. We can, if we looked at each other close enough, and none of us wants to get that close to someone else, but we can see the dense skin flakes falling off of each other. Please, do not come that close to me. <laughs> when I stand up, I'm still a young chap, but I feel my knees clicking and popping because I am decaying. I'm still young, it's happening. Brooke, he's not here, I was going to pick on him, but he got bifocals this year. He's decaying. <laughs> and one day, that decay will catch up to all of us, and we will die. And our bodies will be placed into the ground, and we will be consumed. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. No matter how much we try to stop it, no matter how much the rich people try to throw money at it, we are all decaying, we are all dying before our very eyes. We are perishable, Scripture tells us. Perishable. Scripture also tells us that we're full of dishonor. We're full of dishonor. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 43. Our body is sown in dishonor. It is raised to glory. We are people who are full of shame without honor. We are what's called total depravity. We as a church believe in total depravity. What does that mean? It means that every single part of us, body and soul, is marred by sin. Every single part of us. There's no part of us that is free from the effect of the fall. Physically, we can see it in birth defects and chemical imbalances. People marred by the fall. It's affecting even our DNA, every part of it. It's all broken because of sin that's entered the world. We could also talk about not just physical effects, but spiritual effects, how, how we take our bodies and we use them for all sorts of horrible things. We take normal bodily functions and turn them into evil acts. We take what God designed to be for his glory and turn it into base, revolting things. We take our bodies and we use them for horrible sin. Every part of us, from our physicalness to our spiritualness, is touch, affected, torn apart by sin. Every sin that we do, we bear in our bodies. 
Every sin that we do, we bear in our bodies, scripture tells us. If we truly understand what we've done with our bodies, if we look back on our past and see all everything we do, we would hang our heads with shame for how we have destroyed the temple of God. June Hunt writes this, she says, within the heart of every addict is a sense of shame. Shame because of feeling unlovable, unworthy, unwanted. Shame resulted from repeated failure after failure after failure. And she points this towards addicts, but that is truly everyone who actually stops and reflects on who am I as a sinner? And what have I done over and over and over again when we truly realize it? We're like the prostitute in the shadows feeling that we do not deserve to be in polite society because of what we have done. We are unworthy. Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. The psalmist describes it this way. Psalm 44, verse 15, I live in disgrace all day long and my face is covered with shame. This dishonor that we hold if we truly understand who we are as sinners, how we view ourselves, it colors everything how we view ourselves. It colors how we define our identity. What are we? Scripture tells us that we're perishable. Scripture tells us that we're full of dishonor. Scripture tells us that we are full of weakness. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 43. Our bodies are sown in dishonor, raised in glory. We are sown in weakness, raised in power. We as humanity cannot function as we wish. Our bodies are weak. We could talk about physical weakness. Some of us are weaker than others. There are many people in this room who could lift more weights than I can. But he's not just talking about physical weakness. He's talking about spiritual weakness here. Our bodies, the flesh that we bear, we are spiritually weak. Spiritually weak. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that is what I do. Fast forward in the chapter in Romans chapter 7, verses 22 to 24. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Scripture says that we are weak. We, we, we are physically and spiritually incapable of res- resisting sin in ourselves. And woe is the person who stands up and says, oh, no, I can resist sin in my, myself. We are physically and spiritually incapable of doing good ourselves. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like a wind, our sins sweep us away. I love that metaphor of who we are, and we're swept away because of our sins. Why are we physically and spiritually incapable of doing good? Well, it's because our weakness to sin colors everything we do. Even the good that we try to do is colored by the sin that we are doing. It is. It's marred. It's broken. It's stained. We are weak. We are weak. I know my pet sin. I know what Satan could bring into my life to completely remove me from ministry and tear my family apart. I know what it is. And I know the conditions that will cause me to jump right smack dab back into it without care in the world. Because I know I'm weak. Without looking back, I'd do it. That's why I try to keep myself as far away back from that pit as possible. 
Scripture says we in and of ourselves, physically in this life, we are spiritually weak. That's because we're in the natural body. We're in the natural body. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. We are made of this earth, confined to this earth, limited by this earth. Paul speaks of our natural state previously in this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. He cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the spirit. Because we are natural, not of the spirit, we cannot understand the things of God by ourselves. And we're content with that in the natural man, in the natural body. Sometimes we actually prefer not to know and understand things of the spirit. Sometimes we want to escape conversations about spiritual things and realities because they make us uncomfortable. A.W. Tozer says this, it is characteristic of the natural man to keep himself so busy with unimportant trifles that he's able to avoid the settling of the most important matters relating to life and existence. It's amazing. Sometimes when people get so busy in their life, I sit back and I wonder why. Is it because God is itching at their heart and they're trying to keep themselves so busy that they don't want to make, settle those decisions And so they're putting up these things away, saying, no God, no God, I got this to do, I got this to do, I got this to do. We in the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God, and we do not want to, so we put up all these guards and say, no, stay away. We think that our schedules are more important than God. We think that our reasoning is more important than God. We think that our morality and our rules and our timelines are better than God's because we're in the natural man. We are natural We're natural because we are in the image of man, the first man, Adam. Paul writes in our passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. And as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. We'll talk about that. But picture the earthly man, Adam, standing there in the garden, surrounding by everything good and beautiful, living in a place of perfection. And he looks around him at all this beauty, all this sinlessness, everything he could ever need at his fingertips. And he says, you know what? I'm not content in following God. I'm going to go my own way. I'm not content in living in perfection where God will supply everything I need. I'm going to try to figure things out on my own. I'm going to follow my own desires. I'm going to forge my own path. So he eats the fruit, destroys his relationship with his wife, destroys his relationship with creation, destroys his relationship with God, and he's kicked out of the Garden of Eden, doomed, if left to himself, to a life of pain and misery in this life, in destruction and eternity of damnation to the next. It's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. The Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. 
And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the first man, Adam. His destiny. His legacy. And scripture says that we are, when we are born, we are in his image. That is our story. That is our destiny, kept from eternal life, forced to an eternity of death apart from God. That is what is, Scripture says. We are perishable, dishonorable, weak, natural, in the image of man. That is what is, but what will be? What is the contrast? What will be? Well, what happens to a dry seed when it is buried and placed in the ground? And you leave it there, and you wait, and you wait, and you wonder when is this thing going to finally pop up out of the ground? When is the glory going to happen? When? It's too long, God. When? 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 And finally something pops up, alive and changed. So, Paul says, it will be in the resurrection. We'll be given a new body, related to our own, yet alive and different. This body that will be given is essential to experiencing all the life that is to come. There's no such thing, no matter what people say, as a disembodied eternal state. We will not be spirits flowing up in this ethereal, cloud-like place with some sort of harps in our hands. We are made for physical bodies, and we'll have a physical body for all of eternity. This body will only be ours when Christ comes and calls us home. Whether it's when we die or when he comes again in the rapture, whatnot, that's when it'll happen. We don't have this body in this life. It'll happen then. And this body that we will have is better than anything that we currently experience or imagine. That's what this body is. So let's talk about this body. Let's talk about what will be. Scripture says that this body is imperishable. It is imperishable. 1 Corinthians 15, 42, the body that it was sown perishable, but it will be raised imperishable. We have such a hard time imagining what eternity will be like. We were created to live forever. In the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life there that Adam and Eve could eat, and they would live forever, imperishable, all of eternity. That was taken away. But one day, we will have access to that tree again. I, the great thing about reading through the Bible is you pick, pick the huge themes that are going on, how it was written by one deity from the beginning to the end, the one true God, and he connects it all together. Because in Genesis, it starts with the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, imperfection, tree of life, all that happening. You go through this horrible time all the way to the end in Revelation, and all of a sudden something dings, and you realize, wait a minute, what I'm reading at the end of Revelation is basically exactly what I read at the beginning of Genesis. Because in Revelation, it says, in Revelation 22, 1 to 2, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. One day we will be there, and the tree of life will be able to eat it and glory in its fruit. We will be imperishable in that day. No more sickness, 
No more sickness, no more death. We're going to leave our glasses behind. Y'all are going to leave your hearing aids behind. No more pains, no more aches, no more walkers, nothing. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? in that day when we'll be imperishable. Not only will our bodies be imperishable, but they're going to be filled with glory. 1 Corinthians 15, I will get through this, says our bodies will be sown in dishonor, who will be raised with glory. Glory. It blows my mind because this word is the same word that's used for God in Acts chapter 7 is just one of these spots. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looks up to heaven, sees the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That glory is now used to describe us. Our bodies will be raised in glory before we will filled with dishonor, the shame causing us to look down worthy. We're realizing we are not worthy to come even close to the creator of the universe. But in that resurrection, all that dishonor, all those voices in our heads, all those memories wiped clean, all the shame left in the past, burned up in the elements, in the place of that shame, we'll be reflecting, oh Lord Jesus, we'll be reflecting the amazing glory of God Colossians chapter 3 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Sometimes we have that, and we, we, we act like it's, it's a place that we will be. We will be in glory. And we, it's a psalm of heaven, but it's not a place, it's a state, a, a state of being that is used to describe who we will be. Glorious. And it just blows my mind, a splendor, a radiance, an honor that truly should be given only to the King of kings and Lord of lords. By his grace, he allows us to taste it. And if that weren't enough, Scripture says that our bodies will be raised in power. They'll be raised in power. 1 Corinthians 15, 43, sown in weakness, raised in power. Again, a reflection of our Savior and our God. Romans chapter 1 it talks about the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That same resurrection power will be ours. Right now we get a taste of it, a little here, a little there, but that taste just makes us yearning for more. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead after we come like him in his death. One day, in the resurrection, this body of sin and death will be done away with. The weaknesses of my flesh that haunt me day by day will be abolished. In that day, there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more temptation to sin. We won't be struggling against our desires anymore. I won't stand still knowing that, hey, if I move a finger, I will fall into this temptation that is just gripping me. 
I won't have to worry about the devil and his schemes in that day. One day, I will be raised in power, leaving the weakness of my flesh behind, Scripture says. And that will be a glorious day. On that day, my natural man will be taken away, and I'll be translated into the spiritual man. 1 Corinthians 15, 44. There is a natural body, it is sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. We could think about Jesus' body after resurrection. There's lots of things we could talk about about Jesus' body. We could talk about how he was able to enter rooms that were locked, just float through them, which is crazy, still having a physical body. We could talk about how he was able to eat, but he didn't need to eat. All that stuff is cool. It's great. It's neat to talk about, but there is so much more to the spiritual body. It's not a spirit. It's a physical body that we will have. But it is of the spirit, caused by the spirit, filled by the spirit completely. Because of that, in that day, we will have full, complete communion with God. Nothing separating. We'll be able to know him, and he will know us completely. And, and that translates to full and interrupted communion with each other. We will be able to understand and spend all of eternity completely knowing and glorying in the God who created us. No division, no separation, uninterrupted fellowship with God and each other. Revelation chapter 22 talks about this. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever and ever. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? All because in that day we'll be translated from the image of man to the image of Christ. We read this big passage before, but I wanted to sink in what Paul says at the end, 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49. He says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. As is in the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Just as we bore the image of man, Adam, in the exact same way, we will bear the image of Christ. We pictured the earthly man before, so let's picture Christ. I couldn't find a better picture to put up there, so sorry. Picture him. Picture him in his sinless glory. Picture him in his righteousness. Picture him in his perfection. Picture him in his goodness and his love. Picture him standing next to the Father, our Creator, our God. And the Father is looking at him and saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I love. Scripture says, We bear the image of Christ. In the exact same way. So one day, we will be welcomed into eternity as the beloved sons and daughters, known as completely righteous, in whom God is well pleased. All our identity that we thought was is left behind. We're not that sinner anymore. We are in the image of Christ. 
We will shed that dry husk that is a seed, the image of man. It won't define us anymore. It'll be gone. It'll be obliterated. Instead, we will stand there as Christ. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. To him be glory and honor. Forever and ever. When we leave that dry husk behind, in its place, what is left is a body that is imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, in the complete image of Christ. That is what will be guaranteed. It's not a wishy-washy hope. Guaranteed. We gotta talk about what is again. This promised resurrection body is only for those who are in Christ. It only is. Scripture is very clear. Eternal life, this promise that is given to us, is only for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone. If you have placed your faith in something else, whether it's the good works you do, like your baptism, or your church attendance, or prayers you've prayed, or your confirmation, or communion, or whatnot, this, that, and the other thing, if your faith is in anything else other than Christ, eternal life is not yours. If your faith is, faith is in anyone else, whether it's any other God or deity or the fact that your parents go to church or whatnot, eternal life is not yours. You will die in the image of Adam and you'll spend eternity apart from God. That is the clear teaching of Scripture. John chapter 3 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's what Scripture says, so turn to him. Turn to him. Stop trusting in your works. Stop trusting in what other people said. Stop trusting in religion. Stop trusting that there's no afterlife and you could just live life and be merry. Turn to Jesus. Scripture says today is the day of salvation because we don't know what tomorrow brings. If you've never turned to Jesus, do it today. Do it today. All you have to do is say, I realize I'm a sinner and my sin separates me from you, God. I trust in you alone and I forsake all my works. It's only in you. The minute we do that, we are his. There's nothing else we have to do. No more hoops, no more jumps. It's him, because he did it all. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, whether it's today or it's in the past, praise the Lord, you're his. Eternity is promised to you. You have hope. You have a wonderful future. So live like it. Live like it. We can't use the excuse of, oh, you know, I haven't been resurrected yet, so I'm going to live according to my flesh today. Paul says, no, may it never be in Romans chapter 6. We have a taste of Christ. We have a taste of eternity. We better share that by how we live so that other people say, they, yeah, my hope is in Christ. I've got eternity in my eyes, and it's going to change my life, how I live it. That's what we talked about last week. We need to live it. But in sharing and living according to eternity, 
remembering the amazing resurrection which is going to come, we're all going to go through hard times in life. Having placing our faith in Christ does not mean our life will be easy. Living according to the hope that we have of the resurrection to come does not mean that our life will be easy. We'll go through struggles. We'll go through temptations. We'll feel like we're pushed through a meat grinder and we'll come to the point multiple times a day that we'll say, Father, I yearn for you. Just take me now. I want that life. And after we pray that, we'll still be here. And at the end of the day, when we get to bed, what will we say? Still here. Knowing the hope that is to come. In the midst of that, we'll be able to say, hallelujah, praise be to my God. Because even though I'm in the midst of the pain in this life right now, I know the gift that is mine. And one day, I will fully possess it. And that keeps me going. Is the gift yours? I hope one day you'll be able to possess it too, if you turn to Jesus. If you want to know anything about what I've said, talk to me about it and make it right today. What a glorious day will be when Christ calls us home. Will you pray with me? Father, you are truly good. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. Thank you for taking this worthless mortal flesh and promising to change it anew into a glorious body. Oh, Father, that is going to be a great day. And I yearn for it. We all yearn for it. We're tired of the pain of this life. We're tired of the sin. We're tired of the grief and the despair. But thank you that you are the God who makes all things new. And even in the brokenness, you shine the light of eternity, giving us hope, joy, and peace that we can lift up our heads and our hands in the midst of it and say, praise be to you, because we know that you're the God who has saved us and you're the God who is calling us home. Lord, in light of eternity, help us to live today and tomorrow and the next, showing people that we have hope, showing people that we have joy, because the new life is coming. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you. Stand and take our hymnals and turn to hymn number 400. 400, I want to be like Jesus. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the 